This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, Ellis Pod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parking or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Lobe strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Love Strangers podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. My guest for this episode is Jamie Pittman. Jamie started as a youth team scholar at Swindon Town, where he briefly broke into the first team before he left the club in 1996. After Swindon, Jamie enjoyed a long and well-respected career at various clubs, including Hereford United, Yeovil Town and Forest Green Rovers. After finishing his career, Jamie has remained in football, working across the board, including spells as a physio, a manager and even a return to Swindon as a youth phase coach before moving on again. Now, due to scheduling, Jamie agreed to step in and do this podcast at very short notice indeed. So a massive thanks to him for participating. This is another interview that was made possible with the help of a low stranger listener, which is amazing. Anyway, it's time to sound the hooter for episode 10 of The Low Strangers. Enjoy. Pittman, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Thank you very much for joining at such short notice. So this opening segment that we're going to do is going to be a little bit self-indulgent because you and I have something in common. Uh, We both grew up in small town West Wiltshire. Um, Me, Warminster and Westbury. Uh, You, Warminster. How did you you find West Wilts growing up? 
Um, well, certainly uh, from a football point of view, it was in a really good place, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, obviously the surrounding West Wilts um, league was uh, was very sort of popular. So that sort of thing was brilliant. And we did have a lot of uh, very good games around like sort of Melksham Way and um, they were sort of our rivals as much as, uh, as, as much as anybody else. But in general, just, yeah, it was a, a forces town and... Yeah, just a, a normal kid's life, I guess. I was there because of forces, although I am a Wiltshire boy. Now, the teams uh, that, that were kicking around when I was was Warminster Boys. They were early 90s, so probably maybe yeah. a bit later for you. But there was also Highbury Youth. Who did you play yeah. for? Well, funny enough, the uh, founder of Highbury Youth was my father. Ah. So him and um, uh, another gentleman, um, Harry Theobald, were basically the people that started it up. Um, and believe it or not, it was it was actually for some older lads. Uh, my brother's a couple of years older than me, but they were it was even older than that. So they started it with our older age group. So it wasn't even for me and my brother really. And then it just built from there. And obviously, I know that they're they're a very popular club around Warminster, obviously now, and and, and got themselves into a very good place. So yeah, that was that. I was a hybrid youth boy. Yeah. Do they still play on that slope? Yes, very much so. Well, I believe so. I don't know if it's get if, if any houses are getting put on and they're mm. going to get relocated with a ten thousand seater stadium. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, as far as I'm aware, yes, they do. Um, it's changed very. It's changed probably from our day. Um, the changing rooms have probably got lights. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think I think it's much better maintained than probably when we were there. I scored one of my few goals on that pitch and uh, I will talk about it over and over again. So you would have been from Kingdown? Yeah, yeah, uh, Kingdown Comprehensive, so, yeah. So that was another, I mean, I mean, again, this is self-indulgent, but that was a good sort of region for secondary sports as well because you had the three Trowbridge schools, you had Matravers, who where I went, and it was really quite competitive. Very, yeah, very. Um, and unfortunately, some of it was rugby. <laughs> which yeah with my stature wasn't the greatest game so I just used to get it and kick it and it used to I used to look good but um yeah the football it was more sort of like the Trowbridge end and Chippenham end that were always the really competitive ones for us to be fair I'm not no disrespect to you but my Travers were a pushover <laughs> um certainly within the football but um yeah it, it, it was it was very very sporty um in something that I, you know, I'm quite passionate about now within my industry now that I work in is is that education around sport because it's really forgotten about now uh, and it's very disappointing because we grew up on it. You know, as kids, we grew up on it and that's what we really lived for, to be honest, more than anything else. But, um, you know, it, it was a really enjoyable environment to be involved in. Sorry, based on your current role, what are schools doing wrong now? Um, I think I don't think schools are doing anything wrong. I think it's just the whole pressure of um, maths, English and English literature. And obviously they're under pressure to meet targets in data. But if you look at if you look at a lot of schools that are in the top 10 of qualifications and test results, they also have very good sport in education programs built into their curriculum, which obviously has to say something about that as well. But from a school's point of view, they they are under a lot of pressure to get results um, on those on those particular subjects. So one thing that gets left behind a little bit is physical education. 
Talking of maths, um, you were taught maths by a famous West Wiltshireman um, by the name of John Attio, who started out at Westbury United before becoming an England international and one of Bristol City's greatest, or if not the greatest ever player they've had. A tormentor of many Swindon Town <laughs> defence back in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. I think he scored something like 10 and 11. Was John simply your maths teacher or did he ever provide you guidance in your early football development? Um no, I think I was probably coming to the latter part of his teaching career, but he was an absolute gentleman, absolute gentleman. And when I first originally started at Highbury Youth, he used to live at the bottom of Avenue School, which was where he used to play and he used to pop his head over and just have a little watch now and again. Um, but yeah, he was he was a pure gentleman um, and everyone had a lot of respect for him because he was actually a tough taskmaster at school as well. But um yeah, uh, not not actually advice within the football, and it's a slight shame, really. I never really had that sort of um, time to spend with him um, to talk about that sort of stuff, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, this is a Swindon Town podcast, and obviously Bristol City are rivals, but um, he yeah. was a massive name in in because I went to the Avenue School, and mm. um, he used to watch my team play football, and and up right up until he passed away, but um, he was more focus on education i think at that stage wasn't he yeah yeah um i mean you know talking about math teacher and the type of person he was obviously i used to sit at the back of the class and <laughs> potentially mess about a little bit but certainly he didn't do in his class but one of the lads had bought in a pack of extra strong mints and choked on it so <laughs> mr atio had to run from the front of the class to the back of the class to tip a lad upside down to try and get this extra strong mint out of him we obviously thought it was all pretty funny but actually it was pretty serious at the time but that was the type of guy he was and yeah if if you were if you were a little bit disrespectful you'd be out at the front of the class and yeah he he, he was a very tough taskmaster but everyone had a lot of time and respect for him so let's talk let's talk about idols then so who did you support as a kid and uh, who were those footballers that you idolized I, i was quite fortunate actually um I, I was 10 years old and I was at Southampton Academy. So I was very fortunate to have that experience. And I was only talking to someone the other day. I, I used to watch Southampton from that age all the way to when I was 16. So that was the era of Matt Letizier, the Wallace brothers, Alan Shearer, you know, um, uh, Ruddock. Flowers right. and Girl. Yeah, yeah. Um So, you know, I was very fortunate that I got to watch that era. But my sort of idol, if I'm honest, was Paul Gascoigne. Mm. Um, He he was just, and I still believe he was the best player in the world after uh, the World Cup. Um, He was certainly the best player in the world. And someone who now, in this day and age, would still have everything you wanted to be a complete player. Apart from something that perhaps we'll get onto later once we talk about, obviously, the, the youth team stuff around the psychological and social support that they certainly get now that perhaps we didn't in the early days. Though so I'm a Saints fan. Hoddle and Moncair combining in the middle of the field. Now David Kersley. Good ball for Ling. Good effort. Yes! Three minutes to half-time. Martin Ling's first goal of the season gives Swindon Town the lead. How did your move to Swindon come about? So you're at Southampton Academy. At some point, yeah. you see the light and you join Swindon. Yeah. Um, 
yeah something like that um <laughs> i got re- i got released um as a schoolboy um so when it came up to the apprenticeship stuff i got released from the southampton academy and obviously devastated being there for such a long period of time but obviously i had a really good support network from my parents and i ended up actually going to a number of the sort of south clubs rovers city um exeter Torquay, um and then obviously i went on trial to swindon as well and when Glenn Hoddle and John Gorman come and watch the game and then John Gorman comes over to you and says, do you know what, you could be a really good player and this, that and the other. It wasn't too many options. Um, and, you know, when Glenn Hoddle, someone like that, who obviously was a, a, an idol as well, um, is manager of the football club, it was a no-brainer. So that that was that was the reason. That was the reason. What was the, It must have been a contrast in environments. Well, obviously, we didn't have uh, the money. wasn't The money wasn't as it is now, um, and obviously, it used to be the Dell and the training grounds used to be probably not as nice. Whereas, obviously, Swindon, to be fair to them, you know, the old training ground, which was the old Allied Dunbar, was a great environment to play your football in. Um, and the club is such in the centre. I mean, it hasn't hasn't changed since since then, really, apart from uh, from the stands either end. Um, was it was a a nice environment and obviously being in that Wiltshire area was obviously a bonus because I was still fairly close to home so yeah there wasn't really that much of a contrast in 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 facilities and stuff um because the money wasn't there at the time now the guy that was tasked with uh progressing your development was John Trollope a legend and long-term developer developer of many a Swindon Town player over the years I as a fan am in awe of John Trollope <laughs> and I was raised um to know the late 60s and 70s early 70s squad like the back of my hand um yeah. were you aware of his status when you when you joined Swindon not obviously not initially, but then when he kept telling us that how many games he played consistently because I was always injured all the time, that uh, um, I sort of understood what obviously a great character he was, but also a decent player. Um, but also, it sort of tells you a little bit about John and about his loyalties because I'm sure he possibly had opportunities to go elsewhere, but that that was, I guess, the type of person he was, and and I believe he he was through that period. Certainly when I was there, he was very honest and you sort of had a bit of respect for that, to be fair, because he just told you as it was and that was it. Yes, in the documentary, That's Football from the 92-93 season, you are shown to be given a right (laughs) rollicking by Trollope. Um, The listeners will now hear that clip now. Because if you don't get your application right from game to game, uh, I, I said things to you before the game. Now, if that's the reaction you, you've just you've just shown me in 90 minutes, Jamie, yeah. I wouldn't recommend you. Yeah. Now, if you're going to go and sulk, then you'll get nowhere near it. Yeah. I expected a big response from you tonight because you wanted to show that it should have been you. Now, you've, you've yeah. just let yourself down badly because you didn't want to play enough, Jamie. Mentally, you've gone. Yeah. <laughs> now, you're a coach who specialises in youth development. Is tough love the way to go? Is a is a rollicking the way? Is there balance between an arm around the shoulder? What's your preference? Um, to be honest, I think it's um, something that you have to know the characters in front of you for sure. Um, some people you can talk to in different ways because of their characteristics. 
what I would say is, is, is John had certain values that I still take forward now in my own coaching in my coach development um, around being respectful, you know, listening, learning, and actually how you portray those messages these days can't be done in the same way as it used to be done um, because it's not perceived to be correct practice. Did it ever affect me? No, I wouldn't say it did um, because of the element of trust and respect I had for John. So it was never an issue. And actually, he was right. <laughs> I was bad in that game. So he was right. But he, but if you got praise from John, you knew you'd done pretty well um, in the following season. I was very fortunate to have a good season as a, as a second-year scholar. Um, and I got a lot of support from him. Um, and I know at the end of my time at Swindon, he really he really stood up for me and stuck to his guns and, you know, said you need to keep him for a bit longer. He, he needs some support. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for him in that. Uh, and, I, and I take that forward in how I deliver as well, trying to be open and just give the same values, really. What was the day-to-day -day experience of a 1990s YTS like? I mean, we hear a lot of stereotypes, you know, <laughs> sweeping up, cleaning boots, et cetera, et cetera. What, what was the day-to-day? -day? Oh, the day-to-day, -day, uh, one Shrivenham Road. That was, you woke up in the morning, there was uh, two, one, two, three, four, five sets of bunk beds. So there was eight to ten lads in a tiny little house and Andy Rowlands and his wife used to run it and used to get up, go over to the ground about eight o'clock and our jobs were to put all, all we, we used to get designated players. So I was Craig Maskell, the Messiah Paul Bowden, who is an absolute, I still keep in touch with him now, only, even though he only gave me about 20 quid for cleaning his boots, the cheapskate. But, you know, great guy. Um, so you used to have to go in and you used to have to put their kit together. But first you used to have to go round into the laundry room to see the most delightful woman, Jean, who used to just moan at us constantly, but gives as good as we got. And we'd have to carry it all round. It would all be out in the changing rooms. We'd have to get our number, you know, the players used to have squad numbers, put all of it together, roll it up. Eddie Buckley would be walking around moaning at us as well kev morris would be coming up and down chuntering about something we'd be doing the kit and then obviously we then have to put boots into the skips um boots into the skips all the players boots all their kit then it would go onto the mini bus and then yeah if you forgot the boots you'd be clipped around the ear <coughs> players would go mental um get up to the training grounds which was obviously the old Allied Dunbar one which is now PGL and lay it all out in their places and if they couldn't find it you'd have to go and find it pretty much um, that that was the first part of the day then obviously we'd go out training we'd come back in we'd get all the kit together it'd have to go in all the skips Eddie would take it down in his van back to Gene to wash We'd be then sweeping up the changing rooms up at Allied Dunbar, making it all tidy again. Yeah, so pretty much slave labour. Um, you'd get back to the ground, you'd have a you'd have a, a roll in a pack of crisps, and then it was clearing up the ground. Um, and, and it all sounds really drastic, but you know what? It was brilliant. We loved it. It was character building. 
we were on £32.50. We were YTs, and we'd get something like £2 for a win in the youth team. And it was like you were living a dream, and I think I actually have more money then than I do now. Um, <laughs> and everyone wanted to get to 17 years old because you got 37.50. So if you had an early birthday, you were delighted. Um, you know, and, and, and we didn't have the same structure as they have now. You know, we used to have the gym next door. I don't know if you ever remember it. But God, they have like massive weightlifters in there. I think they were all popping a few steroids in that, and we'd be in there trying to lift five kilograms. They're doing about <laughs> fifty kilogram bicep curls. Um, so yeah, we didn't have all of that that stuff that they get now. But it was one of the greatest and best times you can imagine. Um, it was just kids having fun. And we had some of the other bits to go with it. I was talking to the Messiah, Paul Bowden, there recently. Oh. The last episode actually was um, was Paul, and um, he mentioned it was a great time for the characters, and you mentioned them as well, Kev Morris and um, Eddie Buckley. It just sounds like two absolutely unique individuals. Oh, I, I could tell honestly a, a story about Eddie. I remember when I I went away with Steve McMahon um, in the first team of when he was manager of the first team. And we were doing a shoot in practice and we couldn't have been very good because Eddie was getting the balls down the end back of a slope. And then suddenly, because our shooting was so bad, suddenly the ball stopped coming. And we were like, where the heck is the ball's gone? Realised, obviously, that there's a big slope. Looked down and Eddie's on the bottom of the slope, lying down on the floor. And he'd ended up breaking his leg, falling down the slope. We were... <laughs> I mean, he was just like, oh, no. And then it, it, in one of the youth team games, he, he used to do the first aid stuff. He'd come running on the pitch, and they used to do the old cold spray. But he'd got it around the wrong way and sprayed it, and it went in his eye. So he's having to get taken off. And the poor lad who's injured got up anyway. He, we've then had to usher Eddie off the pitch because he'd sprayed the stuff in his in his eye. And, and a few weeks later, he comes running on the pitch and puts his back out. So, we're like, oh, and it was just, oh, just unbelievable, brilliant. And they were just like, him and Kev Morris were just like a duo and brilliant times of just when you, you think about it and the memories we had were just brilliant. Stackle. Still left, how long Kurt? Oh, slipped by Hazard. Well, oh, finished the pass, wasn't that good enough. Summerby. Good strike. Oh, oh fabulous goal. Marvellous effort by Nicky Summerby. So who were your uh, teammates in the youth setup during your time at town? So who were my hours? Um, Stuart James, mm-hmm. who now writes for The Guardian. Yeah. Reporter. Uh, Shane Cook. Dave Elsie. Uh, Marcus Marcus Phillips' brother uh, uh, James Phillips Andy Kearns Ben Worrell um, they were pretty much our, our core group there Stephen Reeves um, and, and we the second year we were there we had a great season and it, it was fantastic to play in um, we were really lucky unfortunately it ended up with us playing a, a battle against Crystal Palace if I remember at um, the county ground and we all just buckled and yeah, John John wasn't particularly pleased with <laughs> <laughs> the game, um, but yeah, they 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 were our they were our our, our sort of core group, um, and I, I've still got a few of them on Facebook, and 
I, um, I've recently been in touch with Stuart James for different reasons. So, yeah, they, they were the ones that were in our youth team. Your time in the YTS is an era where Swindon have some great midfielders in the first team. You've got Glenn Hoddle, plain sweeper, but he was utilised in the middle. Mickey Hazard, Martin Ling, a young Kevin Horlock, used on the uh, left yeah. back, wasn't he? But he, he also could play centre midfield. John Moncur, yeah. John Moncur of yeah. course. Um, were you able to benefit from them in the training pitch or were you kept away from them? Oh, no. The total opposite, actually. The total opposite. I mean... When you think about the structures now that they have and the experiences they have, they, I don't believe they have the same experiences that we benefited from. Every Friday, we would play the first team. Every Friday, without doubt. Glenn would bring us across and we would play. And that's why I used to take the mick out of Bodes because I used to play on the right wing. He used to play left back. And as you know, Paul wasn't the most mobile person in the world. <laughs> and I was the complete opposite. I just used to love running around. So he'd be like, clip me around the ear, like, you stop bloody running, you little... <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was far from it. So we got great experiences of going in and playing with the first team and playing against them. And that obviously can only benefit you playing against great players like you've named there. Um, and yeah, they used to like have a little chat with us after and talk to us and guide us. And I'm sure that happens in this day and age, but not as closely as perhaps we, we had it. We were in with them all the time, all the time. Yeah, I think your generation and those before so benefited from the combination league, um, the reserve league, yeah. because it was very competitive. Um, you went up against Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea, West Ham, the Oxford, the two Bristol sides. There was quite a lot of senior presence in that. You must have played against quite a few relatively decent players. Uh, the, the one experience um, I, I was really fortunate that um, Terry Fennick and actually I've still been in touch with Terry. He actually he he got in touch with me via, via social media and yeah I, I remember playing alongside him. I mean he played in the World Cup against Maradona and people like that. You can only benefit from playing with people like that. Um, and the combination was great for that because it was competitive. I I, I, I and it's only my personal opinion that gave us a competitive edge that perhaps they don't have now because they play academy, not necessarily academy football, but 21s, 23s. It was competitive and there was some good quality players playing in it. You know, going to Arsenal, going to West Ham, going to Tottenham, places like, you know, places like that for us as young pros was just a great experience in itself. But playing with, with and against great players, uh, you know, you had to work it out. That was it. You had to work it out or you were getting left behind. Yeah, I know. Um, Stuart James's Twitter picture is him sliding in on a Glenn Hoddle when he was at Chelsea. Um, can you remember anyone that you played against? Oh, in that era? Yeah. Oh, man, now you're talking. Oh, my days. That that I know Sol Campbell was one of them. Um, God, the, the most I got ever terrorised was Chrissy Allen. When he was at Oxford, and he absolutely annihilated me. I played right back, and he played left wing, and he tore me. He tore me apart. But it was a great learning experience because afterwards, the coaches were just constantly talking to me all the time about how I could cope with it. But he absolutely tore me apart. Um, oh, I'd really have to think about that. There's nothing I've I've ne I've always been one of those players that I never really sounds really bad, but took much notice. 
I always worried about myself and how I played because if I did okay, I, I, hopefully they wouldn't have played as well. If that makes sense. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, that that was how I was. How mm. how was Andy Rowland? Because he would have been your reserve team manager. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. Yeah. Uh, Chris uh, Chris Hammond. Um, I spoke to him. He also passes on his regards. Calls you Schultz. I don't know if that's. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's because I used to wear gla- like I obviously had glasses and they were like. Um, little um and this is kev morris actually they were little gold ringed circle ones so kev morris always used to call me the german spy so yeah that that was my nickname schultz yeah <laughs> so so chris was telling me that initially was quite uh, well quite intimidated by andy yeah. Rowland. was, was yeah. that the same experience for you yeah, I, I, I would say so yeah yeah i would say so he was quite a, a opposing figure um and obviously, we lived in the house with them as well, by the way, at the same time in one Shrivenham Road. So, yeah, when he when he spoke, we jumped, literally. And I, I think it's very much in those days, you never really sort of back chatted too much. It was very much just a, a, a respect thing. But, yeah, they, they supported us through the programme. Um, I'm sure there were things he probably would have liked to have done different. And, and you know from him from his own point of view um but it, it was always an, a supportive environment sometimes it was tough but it was always supportive were glenn hoddle and john gorman quite proactive in watching the youth beyond the friday training sessions always it, even to the point where glenn used to come actually before he went and played mm-hmm. if it was a home game and he was at home yeah and john was always there yeah always always came and watched us to be fair um and we always did get opportunities to go and work with the first team at different times um you know obviously the squads weren't as big as perhaps they are this day and age so you always got an opportunity um to go across and work with the squads in in different ways which is only positive as i i see it but yeah they were really supportive to be fair and how much of 92 93 and 93 94 did you get to watch oh all of it the, the you know the one thing you, you know Watching Glenn in that team was just brilliant at the time. And obviously the final game, um, I, I, I remember it, going to the De Vere Hotel at the end and it just being carnage. And even, I think even some of us youth team lads had a sneaky drink and, <laughs> you know, I, I think I had to down a pint for my 20 quid for cleaning cleaning Mac, uh, Craig Maskell's boots for the week. I didn't really want to do it, but I had no choice. I wanted the 20 quid. I was only on 32.50. Um <laughs> But, you know, the whole drive home, then obviously the club involved the youth team lads, the the the, um, the uh, reserve team lads on the tour of the ground. You know, so the whole club was there, wasn't it? Um, mm. It wasn't just about the first team. It was obviously they involved everybody, which is, is, is great from my point of view.
1993, as we've discussed, Town secured promotion to the Premier League for the first time in its history, but by spring of 1995, less than two years later, Town faced relegation for the second season in a row. However, mm. Town's pending doom has a positive impact on your progress into the Town first team because you're drafted in by Steve McMahon um, for yeah. the very important game against Portsmouth because we're not doomed just yet. No. Um, what are your memories of the build-up to that game? Um, I think he was desperate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, I, to be honest, I think I'd been flittering around it for quite a bit of time anyway. So I'd been in and around the first team environment. Um, and oh, I don't know, sometimes I'm not great at selling myself, but it, it was, a, I just didn't care. I just loved playing. I just loved playing. When you put it in comparison to this day and age, I just loved playing. I didn't care about the money. I just loved playing football. Um, and I think there's sometimes some things that I've lost in this day and age. I just love playing. And in being in and around it, if I'm honest, I think, if I remember rightly, I'm not sure Chrissy Hammond got, he got concussion in the game before and it didn't get diagnosed quick enough and he ended up being quite ill before the game. So I sort of then got drafted in as a sub and then, if I remember rightly, I think Ty Gooden, yep. did he come off injured? Yeah, very early on after 16 minutes. So, yeah, I mean, you're, yeah. you're sat on the bench and you're well, thinking, this will be good, get a couple of minutes maybe if I'm lucky. Yeah. And then suddenly 16 minutes into the game, you're called on. Yeah, I didn't care. I just <laughs> wanted to play. Honestly, it, 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 I had no fear. I didn't care. Um, I'd been obviously brought up in, in in that environment with John and stuff like that and he'd ingrained in about hard work and determination and all that sort of thing. So I knew I was ready. In a way, I knew I was ready. It was just getting that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just went, oh, just the freedom. I just, it didn't bother me. I just wanted to play. Um, and that's all I can really remember. I, but I do remember a number of things where I remember chasing a ball down into the far corner um of the um, opposite main stand and getting a stand innovation because the town fans just, I think just appreciated hard work, local lads. And actually I think I was all right. I was an all right footballer. So I I certainly remember that. And I think I actually got taken off in the game at the end. I think Um, if I remember rightly, I don't, it might not have been that one. It might've been the Notts County one, but um, I think I came on. I, I came on, but came off. That's not doesn't sound good, does it? Being sub, the subs get subbed off. <laughs> Don't worry, you you you, you yeah, stayed yeah. on for the uh, for that one. Ben Worrell came on for Andy okay. Todd, um, but um, you you came off in the other two games. Um, but no, I mean I think you're right. That is all. I think any football fan wants, isn't it? Football fans like the romantic idea of the local kid coming through and. You always see the effort. You rarely, I don't think I've ever seen a Swindon Town YTS or youth graduate come into the first team and not look like they care. Mm-hmm. And, 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 that, and that's, I guess, a way, the way the structure of the football club is that it, you've got to have a bit of pride to play for the club. And, you know, and, and that was ingrained in certainly in us. But it was just no fear absolutely no fear I just absolutely loved it and it was brilliant because I remember the night I went home obviously to Warminster there was obviously a number of Swindon fans but (laughs) this doesn't sound right does it I didn't drink by the way but um and I remember actually talking about Andy Rowland I went upstairs um into like the players lounge because I got invited up there and Andy came over to me and he said Jamie this is only the start just remember 
to do things properly. Um, and I remember that because it was in one of the main boardrooms and I, I sort of like took those words um, and I, I ended up going home and obviously I walked into the pub to see all my friends and that and they were all going crazy. Um, but I knew that I had to do things properly and I didn't actually drink. So, um, but it was a great atmosphere and, you know, they were as proud for me as I was for myself, really. How often do you, in your, in your post playing career as a coach, how often do you come across, um, you footballers who don't have that fire that don't have almost have that arrogance of, well, I'm good. So, you know, I don't care about this club as much as you think I should do. Is that common or do most of them are just wanting to be pros? I think it's probably common. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's a very selfish industry anyway. Um, but I think it's common. And I think that, um, players sometimes, like I said previously, are playing for the wrong reasons is it about money or is it about actually because they love playing? Um, and I wouldn't say all players, by the way, because there's a majority that don't. They play because they still love it, um, but they're just fortunate they get well paid for it. Um, but yeah, it is an issue. And that's why in the whole academy systems now, um, you talk about the support networks they have, um, psychologists, sports scientists, you know, people that actually support you in the social media and all that sort of thing. Um, they have a lot more of a support network, whereas, you know, in our era, it was you get into the first team, you sink or you swim because there was no strength and conditioning coach. There was no one looking after you or outside of football. There was no one trying to guide you about what's right, what's wrong. N you know, no one necessarily the, the days of um watching videos wasn't there yet and video analysis so your support network was just the rest of the players that was it and, and you, or yeah. you you sunk or you swam yeah fantastic now that Portsmouth game we lose and Swindon are relegated and it's even worse for the fans when you consider that we're relegated due to league restructure um, because we yeah. finished 21st and that's usually enough to stay up oh well um, can you remember what the mood around the club was like at the time because town really shouldn't have gone down with Digby, Bowden, Fjortoft for the majority Hall, Lockling, Fawn yeah. regardless of how disliked he is or was um, even Joey Beecham had a hell of a lot of talent um, why does that happen why do good sides go down is it human error is it poor coaching is it arrogance how does that happen um, I, think, I think sometimes uh, and this is where everything's moved on now um, with the support, like, like I just discussed there about the support networks, getting relegated is, uh, is you know, you, you think they got promoted one season into the Premier League, they're then getting relegated out of league, the championship as it is, mm -hmm. the following season, and then it's very, you, you know, it, it's deflating. So as a player, you sort of like trying to find yourself again, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm from all the disappointment and all the bits that come with it. And it can be mentally draining. So sometimes I think you can get trapped into that, oh, God, here we go again type of attitude. Um, and it's very hard to get out of once you start losing games. Um, and that's why you probably see a lot of players coming and going with teams that have been relegated because sometimes it's not the best thing to keep those players around because it's very difficult to get out of that 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 habit of losing. Um, and it does become a habit, unfortunately, and it's a hard thing to break. Town are down, but you are not out as um, you replace 
Ty Gooden in the for the final home game of the season, which is against Rockbottom Notts County. You'll wear the number seven shirts while your fellow YTS Ben Warrell's on the bench. Town find form finally and some goals because we went a few without scoring before that. And we win 3-0 due to goals or thanks to goals from Chris Hammond and a Peter Thorne double. You play in the side alongside Fraser Digby, Sean Taylor, Luke Nyholt, Martin Lee. Peter Thorne, amazing. Um, what was that? Yeah. What was that first team like behind the scenes? Who were the characters? Uh, I'm sure you can pick them out. Luke Nyholt was definitely one. Um, and I remember in the game, in proper looking after me, I think. And actually, I think he got himself into a bit of trouble for it. Um, John, uh, previous to that, like John Moncur was just proper character. Ross McLaren, obviously in and around the changing rooms as well. Um, uh, to be honest, I, I, I used to latch on to Bodes all the time because he was a really top guy, but also very funny. Um, and I used to, you know, listen to him a lot because he was also a very good player. Mm. And you could see why he's a very good coach and he is a very good coach now. But yeah, the, the, those were probably the characters within that. Lingy was always quite about it as well, to be fair to him. He was more at the front of the card school than anything. <laughs> <laughs> and that one was dangerous. Yeah, that was dangerous. That I got myself into trouble. And to be fair to the first team lads, they taught me a lesson. And they said, that's why you don't get involved in playing cards. Now, on your bike. So, so how much did you lose or potentially lose? Uh, not, I didn't in the end. They let me off. <laughs> taught me a lesson and let me off. So don't play shoot pontoon. <laughs> Your final game comes in the... Uh... The final day of the season um, on the televised one, I think it was as well. Um, yeah, Wolves, yeah. Uh, Kevin Horlock produces the save of the match, but he gets sent off for the privilege. Yeah. Um, Wolves score the penalty, and then Chris Hammond sends in a lovely cross for Peter Fawn to put in a bullet header. I mean, you, you, you're playing in front of what 20, 25,000 people yeah. in that game. That that must have been, even if it was the last for Swindon, that must have been a nice way to top it off. Oh, uh, definitely. More than it, it was more when when we came out. They they do the the clap. I don't know what they call it, but they they clap, don't they, and mm. do a song. And it was like twenty four and a half thousand people live on telly, and it was just like you were just stood there. Me and Ben, I remember, we were just stood there going, "This is this is good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is good." And yeah, and again, it was just one of those things. You just went in, then you just went and played. The whole experience was just go and get on the ball as much as you can, just enjoy it. And, and and that was the experience I had in those three games. Was just I just loved it. It was brilliant. It sort of set me up then, really. With the season wrapped up and Swindon now down and going into what is now League One, did you think you'd get an opportunity to kick on within the third tier with Swindon? Yeah, to be honest, yeah. Um, obviously, I stayed for a little bit of the season, the following season, up to about February, um, and then obviously Steve. I think, to be fair, like talking about what we said previously, he got a lot of the older players out and got his own fresh bodies in. And and that was his choice. Um, at the time, I was absolutely devastated, of course, because I wanted to kick on. And I think one of the big things was that whole support network. I was a young player, obviously had some success. And when I came back, I'd moved out of another set of digs that I was very comfortable in. The club wanted me to move out to go somewhere else and it just didn't work. It just didn't work out. It just, because it wasn't as, the digs wasn't as strict as it was in my other ones, if that makes sense. And being a young player and, you know, in that environment, 
you you did perhaps things that you wouldn't have done if you had that support network from from the club in the psychologists in all the sort of cultural support you get in this day and age I mean you think if you played in the championship now at 19 years old everyone starts watching whereas perhaps when we played it was just a it was just a dumb thing that's what happened because you were given those opportunities now you don't get so many opportunities like that happening now but their support networks are way better and rightly so to be fair because if I'd have had it I do believe I'd have played a you know I did okay but a much better level because I would have had that support network instead of just being left on your own sort of thing um but that's what it was and you know things changed did you want to leave Swindon definitely not Mm -hmm. no no to be honest um I played in a trial game for Scarborough Mm -hmm. at Walsall um after after like because the club would obviously let 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 us play in some of the trial games and um Ron uh, uh, Ron Dukes was a, a scout for Hereford and saw me play and he actually said I was the new um, Paul Trollope yeah uh, and he said yeah you know I can see very similarities so I ended up then going to Hereford um, and actually it was a great experience because they were flying high um, and we got to the playoffs that year so yeah and I got to play with Steve White Dean Smith Nicky Cross Keith Downing you know some very good some very good experienced players as well so it it was actually you were at 19 playing competitive football and the other left winger was a friend of mine from Swindon Murray Fishlock yeah he used to be for Trowbridge I think in um, other teams didn't he early cross chance for White wonderful goal for Steve White magnificent goal a lovely cross So um, that first season with Hereford, so you joined Hereford, um, yeah. and they are flying. They, I mean, this was a playoff season for them. Yeah. Um, so it yeah. Mo- I mean, I think what's testament to your career is at that stage, it's easy to then just drop into the Southern League, isn't it? It's yeah. to, fa- oh, yeah. to have a fourth tier team want you. And I think Scarborough took Ben Worrell as well, didn't they, eventually? Yeah, they, they, they played in the same game. Yeah, yeah. So it, it must have been just fantastic just to know that your ability was enough to keep you in the Football League. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and again, it was just right place, right time, getting an opportunity and then taking that opportunity. And I was really fortunate to go into I mean, I think they just got beat by Spurs in the FA Cup replay. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously after that, I'd come in and, yeah, they were flying high again. So... You know, I was really lucky to be involved with all of those, um, and it was a great experience. We got to the playoffs, unfortunately, got beat in the semis by Darlington. But it, yeah, it was it, you were playing first team competitive football, and at nineteen, that's what you want, um, and at a good level, and at a good level. Your second or your first full season, though, um, you get injured, don't you? And and, and yeah. Hereford get relegated into non-league um, as an injured pro. How frustrating must it be just watching from the terraces and not being able to do anything about it? Yeah, very, very. Um, and actually, Craig Maskell scored the goal, I think. <laughs> Craig Maskell scored the goal give for Brighton. Give him the 20 quid back. Yeah, exactly. I should have asked for it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just the whole thing was just devastating, to be honest, because you were thinking, oh, God, well, you know, what's going to happen? You know, what? where the club going to go? What's going to, you know... Um, and where does the future lie selfishly for yourself um 
but obviously for a club to be involved in something where you come out of the football league is just oh painful painful to be involved in um but start, sitting on the sidelines seeing it happen i mean i know brighton we're getting 10,000 fans every week and we i don't think we won i think we won one in 11 um which was just painful we only needed to win one more game or get one more draw um but they caught us um yeah again it's one of those things you just you can't control it you just have to get on with it absolutely now your remaining playing career is exclusively in the fifth tier the national league the conference whatever you want to call it but you play a decent level for good conference teams hereford yeovil woking and forest green now personally i'm petrified of swindon getting uh, relegated into uh, the national league Uh, for those who achieve instant promotion when they go down there, like Bristol Rovers. It seems like a bit of a novelty, I'm sure. But when you look at what happened to Torquay and Stockport and how long it took Oxford to get back up, no thank you. Was it yeah. Was it that bad in the end, um, staying in the fifth tier? Um, we were a very good... At uh, Hereford, we were a very good fifth tier, so we were always up in the top seven. Hmm. So from a personal player point of view, you were always playing in front of four, four and a half thousand people. And you're always in in for a shout of either getting promoted or getting to the playoffs. Um, and I was fortunate that Hereford had a bit of a restructure. Even Graham changed his philosophies a little bit and got in a coach, Rich O'Kelly, who's now at Brentford, doing a fantastic job there. And the whole thing then changed. So I was involved in a whole transition of a club moving in a different direction. And then it went from strength to strength, you know, under Graham and, and that went straight to strength. Um, the players that they got in and it was a great it was a great club then to be in the limelight because a lot of people watched a lot of the games because they had a very good reputation for having good players and young players in there so it was always a good good opportunity to get a move obviously I wasn't good enough because I didn't get one but or or, um, or I was or I was just sucked into the enjoying playing football um, in one environment but not 776 consecutive games like John. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it was a good experience. Um, something that I wouldn't have wished to happen, but I saw the transition of a club change. Yeah. Well, that's really fired up the home crowd now and Swindon buzzing here. And because, again, rather uncertain with that cross and the shot almost comes to Mitchell. It's another goal. Incredible. throughout that whole uh, Remainer career? Yeah, we pretty much, we were full-time at Hereford. Um, I then ended up going a little bit part-time. So I I worked in one of the local gyms, and believe it or not, I was probably the fittest I'd ever been Um, because I worked in the gym, trained in the gym, and also I got to play football. So it was actually quite beneficial. Uh, And then I did a bit, I did a first year of my child physio degree, but then my my, um, ex-wife got pregnant and had my first son. So I sort of, I had to park that because I was the breadwinner. So I had to make sure that I concentrated on the football. So I sort of parked that a little bit, but um, yeah, carried on with it. Um, And then obviously I moved on from there um, to Forest Green. You finally get that promotion back to the Football League with Hereford, a side that you had captained during your time at Edgar Street. It was a great game. I remember watching, actually. Future Town mm-hmm. forward Andy Williams um, scored the first yeah. and, and, and yeah. you came on in extra time. Um, because of your hair, you have the most, you know, 
you're one of the most recognisable sort of Swindon youths ever because uh, because when your face was in the programme, you had that whiter than white hair as well. Um, you come yeah. in for extra time. That includes the winning goal. It must have been amazing to banish the ghost of that relegation in 97. For sure, for sure. Um, and it was. And it was a great experience. And I did enjoy it afterwards. But I knew in my heart of hearts, I knew I was getting released. So, And also after, I'd also got pulled out to have a drugs test. So I missed all the celebrations, uh, all the everything. I missed everything because I was so dehydrated, I couldn't wee. Yeah, so it, it, was, it was a good day and not a great day. Um, but I certainly enjoyed it. And it was great to be part of, of course. And it was something that I will always remember, obviously. Did you ever have any options throughout your non-league career to um, to return to the Football League? Not that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> not that I know of. But no, I, I met Mickey Adams um, on, on a course I was doing not long ago. And he said when Fulham were in the third division that they, they had a serious look at myself in whether anything materialised or not, I really don't know. What I would say is, is I, I think once you stay at a club for a long time, there's a reputation that you just end up wanting, you'll never get him out because he just wants to be there. That wasn't obviously the case. It was just, I guess, it was, you know, when you're under pressure and you, you know, you only sign in a year's contract every year, you're sort of worrying about where the next contract, year's contract or penny's coming from. And that was the pressures that you found yourself in in that environment. It wasn't like you signed a four or five year contract. You was every year. You were always fighting to to get a contract. Yeah, let's talk about that because I think for us as football fans, we don't appreciate that even in um, Swindon's current level that everyone is signing two two years. Do you probably have to save your wages every month? just in case you get released and it's Civvy Street again. It must be absolutely brutal. Does it, Or do you just have that belief that you're going to be okay, so you sort of put it to the back of your mind? Um, uh, is there guidance for that? Do you know what? There's a business opportunity there. No, I'm not sure there is. I don't know necessarily about now, but no, it was a, it was a personal thing. You know, uh, you know I, I didn't earn the money that people expect players to earn. I didn't categorically i didn't do that you know i was at swindon i was uh on 275 pound a week and i you know and, and that was in like a championship but did i care no i didn't i just wanted to play um but going back to your question it was just it was always a pressure because some of those contracts were only 40 weeks so it was only for the playing season so then you're thinking right okay so i've got three months of two or three months of season where i'm not getting paid what am i going to do you know, I went off and did some tiling work for people, um, you know, because I had to, because, you know, the money I earned didn't sort of last me the whole 12 months, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there was always that fear and it, and it was always a worrying time around that time for people. And if you signed two years, it was great. It was, it was fantastic. It was like, that's a proper bonus. Um, and I think I only ever did that twice Three times, twice, 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 yeah, twice. I think, yeah. I think twice. I think it's crazy, isn't it? Because I mean, nowadays, and from an outsider looking in, you see youth players are always told about their sort of academic options, maybe going to the USA, um, coaching. A lot of them go into personal training and things like that. But we're yeah. also hearing a lot of things in the news now about footballers with depression and that financial burden or that financial pressure must be intense. 
yeah massive massive and you know and I'm not afraid to I'm not afraid to admit it in my management days after that I was in I was in depression no no doubt about it and I got a lot of help out of it and it's something that is really rife in the game at the moment because there are so many pressures and ultimately it's the pressures around what happens as well if this doesn't work out because you know what do you do um, I know a number of players who I've played with that are obviously involved in coaching and in, in, in coaching in academies is a lot of hours, unsociable hours and does take a toll on family life. And, you know, your, your girlfriends, wives, partners will say, well, why don't you do something else? And you go, well, what else am I going to do? Yeah. What what else am I going to do? And and unfortunately, the money in the academy, academy systems isn't what I believe it should be because it's a highly skilled job now within academy systems and unfortunately you're not going to attract ex-professional footballers for the money that gets offered into them and that's a shame because you know depending on how you see coaching if you've played and been in that environment you'll get the respect it doesn't mean to say you can be a great coach but it's going to help you along the way and and how did you conquer that sort of difficult time? Um, I got a lot of support from the LMA, mm-hmm. um, and I, I I got professional help seeing the the, the um, a psychologist and that, and it made a massive difference to me. And actually, some life changes, um, getting fit again, um, finding exercise again, and actually just realizing that this wasn't what life was all about. It it was more than that. So no, it, it was a it was a tough time, and I I don't envy anybody, you know, who is a manager at a football club. I have the utmost respect for anyone who does it, because it is the toughest job possible that you can imagine. The pressures, um, but there are a lot more support networks now out there. The league managers do association do a fantastic job in promoting that sort of stuff, and obviously I know the PFA are, are really homing in on it now. So. There is a lot of a lot of work being done behind the scenes for all of that stuff. Fantastic. We'll talk more about the management side in just a moment because before you retire, you do return to Swindon, albeit quite briefly, in the FA yeah. Cup um, 2007-ish. Forest Green get a draw away at Swindon, which is now a league game, but back then that was quite a big deal for Forest Green Rovers. Yeah. It must have been nice to, even if it was for 17 minutes or so, um, oh, it must have been nice to be back on the pitch. Oh, I was absolutely devastated. Mm. I had a sore hamstring for the whole week and I did the warm-up and everything and I was completely fine. Honestly, I was absolutely devastated because if I'd have carried on playing, we'd have beat you. <laughs> Probably would. No doubt about it. We we were flying at the time. We were flying at the time. Um, and I was obviously a big part of that. And I'm not saying we, I'm not saying we lost because of that, but I was devastated because I just wanted to show everyone that this is what I I was good and I did uh, you know you, you know what it's like when you mm-hmm. go back to an club you just want to show everyone that you were a good player and you know uh, I was devastated that I had to come off yeah absolutely devastated I remember that game it sold about 100 tickets <laughs> <laughs> oh well you, you put money into Swindon then yeah, 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 yeah. I remember the game really well because I was working for HMV in Durham at the time and it was still back in the days where phones were quite sort of 
poor in comparison to what they are now. And it was those when you were looking at the football schools, it was like it was a bit like CFAX, the one page one of two. And I remember to someone about Teletext the other day and they laughed at me. Oh, man. About it's like teletext, you know, teletext. Uh, CFAX 302, football, exactly. 390, local football. For Swindon, yeah. 312, news in brief. <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, um, yeah. So my phone was like, it's like two ones to Forest Green. And I, and I remember I pro- my customer service probably wasn't that good for that little <laughs> while, to be honest. And then yeah. because it was busy, I managed, because it was December, I think, so it would have been Christmas rush. Um, I remember Blair Sturrock's name coming up in the 88th minute or whatever and just not being happy, just being absolutely re- relieved because, uh, yeah. well, we're terrible still in the FA Cup. But um, Mm-hmm. It, it did look like one of those games where we got lucky because if we would have been sent back to the lawn, we, Ooh, we yeah. might we, we might have struggled. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we were flying at the time. To be fair, mm. uh, we were flying, and I, I was actually player coach with Jim Harvey at the time, and yeah, we, we were in a good place at that that moment in time, and um, playing some really good football, and we had some very good young players coming through as well, which was really positive for us. But obviously. You know, we would have loved to have got through because was it a second round or third that one? Oh, it wouldn't have been third. We were in it, so um, it, <laughs> ah, it would have been first or second. To tell you that, it was a second. I think, yeah. Yeah. The Otto trying to turn his man. Oh, what a goal! A fantastic goal by Yad the Otto. Two thousand and eight. You start August. You play a couple of games for Forest Green, and it ends. That's it. You you retire and to become physio back at Hereford. How long were you doing your qualifications for? Was it always angling for a return to Hereford? How did it come I about? No, not really. I'd already I'd already done them, um, and I know Graham then came to me. Um, and Graham never takes anyone back, and he took me back three times. So there must have been something, um, but. I'd had real problems with um, some some heel issues like plantar fasciitis and that, and I had it in both heels. And I just got to the point, maybe regrettably now, I wish I'd have carried on playing. But you know, at 33, I just thought this is, you know, I got offered more money to go and do the physio job, and as a career path, it was probably an opportunity I couldn't turn down. Mm. Um, I don't think Jim and Jim certainly at Forest Green was too pleased about it. Um, but I had to make the right choice for my family um, and myself going forward. Uh, so I, I took that opportunity. Um, it didn't last that long um, because Graham then got me in doing some coaching after some of the other staff had gone. So I had that experience with him. Um, and then the whole physio turned to manager mm. turn, turned up. Um, the dreaded physio becomes manager. <laughs> uh, I think Nigel Atkins started that way as well, didn't he? He did. He very much did. He, he did well out of it, yeah, to be fair. Yeah. He didn't do so well, but yeah, he did. The the, the transition from physio to, um, to manager is unusual. There's a couple, as we've mentioned, you and Nigel Atkins. Um, it happens in October 2010 when Simon Davey, who was a really bright star for a while, and his star dimmed really quite quickly, and I think that was pretty much it for him when he lost his Hereford job. Yeah. Was this was this move into management sudden for you, or was it always the plan at the time for um, No, there was never a plan to do it. Um, what happened was, obviously, Simon went, and I got a lot of time for Simon. I think he's a very good coach, and he's a really good person. 
Um, I saw him recently. Um, he's out in America now, doing a. He's got five thousand people in an academy, so he's doing all right. Yeah, nice. um, yeah. So he's doing all right, and uh, um, but you just go in just to be a support network, and we took some games in it went really well um, and I think the turning point was we went to Northampton and we were 3-0 down at half time and I sort of went into the changing room and I said look lads I said it doesn't really bother me I'll be going back to my physio job if you want to pull your fingers out and you know show that you want to play for this football club and you want us to perhaps carry on doing this job you need to do something um, and we tweaked a few little bits and bobs and there was a few choice words but we ended up winning 4-3 and it went mental. Everyone was going berserk. What a comeback. It was on the news. It was here. It was there. It was all on like talk sport and it was a whole massive thing. And that was when it changed. Um, and we went on a run of games then. And I think we only ended up losing six out of the last 26 games. And that was with the club secretary at the time messing up the paperwork, getting a free point deduction, which took us back into the relegation zone. Then, you know, you got home, you got a home game, a game against Chesterfield that you've got to win. They're top, they're flying. We end up beating them three nil, you know? So the whole thing as an experience in the first year was brilliant. Um, and if I had my time again, I'd have probably walked away then mm-hmm. because as a profile, as a, as a manager and as a coach, it had been a great opportunity to go, do you know what? I did a fantastic job. Um, but when you get that opportunity, you, you want to try and carry it on because you see people like Eddie Howe and what you know where he started and where he is now. I mean, that's the dream, isn't it? Um, but it doesn't quite work out like that for everybody. I think if um, if you walk away, because what you did is you, you, you managed to, somehow keep Hereford from getting relegated in that first in that first season with them and I think that is always a good time to go because that can make you get a job elsewhere with maybe a little bit more stability I think John Askey did it in a weird way with Macclesfield this summer he got them promoted probably saw the budget looked at the uh, lead two yeah. and thought I'll, yeah. have, I'll, I'll take the Shrewsbury job even though I'm a Macclesfield legend um, exactly yeah Exactly. Well, I mean, you, you, when you when you you say that, that's absolutely perfect, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, the budget was what it was, and I was left with, you know, three players taking a third of the budget. So, when you step back from it, you go, now I go, wow, how stupid was I? Should have seen the writing on the wall. How how, how can you get another fifteen players on two thirds of the budget? Yeah, yeah. It's impossibility, isn't it? Yeah. And of course, I made mistakes along the way. God, yeah, I did. 100% I did. Um, but also, I made some really good choices and I coped well with it um, when I look back at it. But it was the toughest experience I can I could possibly imagine telling anybody about. Why? Um, just because of everything. I think football is the one industry in the world and the only industry in the world where everyone has an opinion and they're happy to front their opinion and no one can say if they're right or wrong. Can they? No. Because there's no, there is no actual crystal clear way of doing it. There's not. Even Pep probably looks at things and changes things all the time. There is no crystal clear way of doing something to get success. Everyone can have an opinion, but there's no crystal clear way of having success, is there? 
Okay. So everyone is entitled to an opinion, aren't they? <laughs> and they're happy to voice that opinion on social media, on the terraces, express it wherever they want to. And unfortunately, I lived in a city where I had to walk around as well. Um, and unfortunately, people had a perception that I was really arrogant. Hmm. Um, but it wasn't. It was just a fear that I just didn't want to get into a conversation about it. So I'd avoid, I'd avoid conversations and avoid people, and that's really bad, isn't it? Football fans on the, we're always right. You get the football fans that will stick to an opinion because eventually it will be right. You can have Pep Guardiola, and someone will say at the start he's going to be rubbish, and yeah. they're willing to wait five years until they can say, "I told you so." regardless yeah. of what's happened in the middle. I mean, you, you have some highlights in Hereford. I mean, you have a trip to Villa Park. That must have yeah. been nice for well, you. We, had, we we got to the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mm. Um, you know, we sold a, I sold Matty Manset to Reading um, for, like, club records fees. Um, you know, they, they, I, I will be bringing out a book at some stage uh, because there was so much that went on. You know, the trip to Villa Park, you know, we held them for a long period of time. Um, the game at the game at um, uh, Hillsborough and Sheffield Wednesday, we took thousands of fans, um, and it was a great experience as a manager to be involved in that sort of stuff. Um, so there was there was plenty of highs, um, but you know I've done like lots of reading recently, and the problem is is you do that game and then that happens, everyone else is celebrating, and you're thinking about the next one, mm. and we didn't have all of those things i'm i'm then on i i movie maker trying to put clips together myself as a manager to show the players on on monday for the game for tuesday and that you know and you're cutting and pasting and trying to put them together and you're there for hours and it was just you were so you were manager of the football club you were you know uh, a coach at the football club you were the analysis you were this you were that but that's what you did because you didn't have any of the resources to do it. Um, so, you know, that was part of the job. You just got on with it. And the, the frustrating thing, again, from the f- football fan side is you go toe-to-toe with someone like Aston Villa and then you sort of labour your way through a game against Crew or someone like that. You, you yeah. it, It's just, yeah. that's the glory of football, I suppose. But um, It's human nature. Exactly. It's human nature, isn't it? Yeah. You know, if you're in retail, if you're, if you're in... Um, top man and you're up against Gucci then you're going to do your best to try to compete against them <laughs> and you're going to do probably more to do that than if you're up against dare I say Burton's yeah. if they exist anymore do you know what I mean <laughs> it's, you know um, it, it, it's it's just human nature I, I would say and players are probably thinking if I play well here I might get a move <laughs> a little bit of space for Frank McAvenny away from Parker not from Bruce though. Nyholt with a shot, took a deflection, it's in. Luke Nyholt has equalised for Swindon Town. And bottom of the table they may be, but they are made of stern stuff. Hereford hey you come back to Swindon um is that through Paul Bowden um he's probably gone at that point but is, no he was still there, right? he still I, went there? In that. I was his, in as his support network for being physio oh <laughs> yeah um yeah the dreaded physio job again um 
uh, and uh, you know I, I worked in there with him did a bit of physio stuff with him and then obviously he was going through the process he went through mm-hmm. um and then he, i i ended up actually taking um the um development phase um in the academy so overseeing the 12 to 16s groups um which i really enjoyed um with jeremy newton and in in sean wood it's a foundation phase and you know we we worked tires tirelessly to to get the club up to scratch on the e triple p and all that sort of stuff so mm. uh, that was a great experience and and i loved working with paul he's an absolute gentleman um funny really respectful and I, i've got a lot of time for him he is he, also a very good coach um did swindon have a positive attitude towards youth development during your two years back at the club um certainly they did in the first year mm-hmm. no doubt about it when even uh under um you have to remind me now manager um oh my god so, okay so who do you want do you want uh cooper do you want williams no, do you want to canio uh, do you want that. yeah paolo yeah. sorry even though even though paolo the 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 reputation that obviously he had and you know he wasn't really overly bothered about the youth football in that um the actual structure and the support from the board members was brilliant it was very good and actually um i got well supported i'm not gonna lie i got well supported um from them and and even in that period was an opportunity arose didn't it when obviously paolo went and the board came to me and said look could you go and help wardy and tommy miller um you know, just do the paperwork and all that sort of thing. And I was like, and I'd obviously been come out of the the Hereford situation. And I was like, look, said, I'll help them, but you need to make it out there to all the fans and everything that I'm just there to do the paperwork and support the two managers that were in there. Oh, so then, so I did that. Then I'm then doing, then I end up doing coaching in the first team. Mm -hmm. Then I'm doing video analysis as well as coaching in the first team while doing the development the, the development phase in the academy. And I, you know, in Paul had obviously not wanted to do like take on that that role anyway. So in, in the first team, I, I, I'm going. I'm then doing all the paperwork. Then I come in at half time and everyone sat down and they're all looking at me. And I'm like, this wasn't in the remit. Yeah. This was not in the remit. Then I'm like. Then I get told, can you put a suit on and stand at the front and be like a figure? And I'm like, oh, my days, I, I, this is not going to go well for for me personally. Because then, you know, the whole thing around opinions and stuff like that, people start going, what the hell is he doing? Where are we going here? We're second in the league. Yeah. We've got this, you know, potential, what you, you know, manager who's been at Hereford and he, he was sacked six months ago. And I'm like, oh, my days. This is not what I wanted, and obviously it was it was a difficult situation, and it, it, you know the results weren't positive, were they? And then obviously Kev McDonald came in, so that and he was a great guy. I, I obviously did like he, he kept me in with the first team element of it, um, and I just did a lot of like the video analysis and watching other teams and stuff and feeding back to him, and you know that that was an experience in itself that you know going back to the club that you've you know got a lot of you know a lot of respect for and got brought up in was it was it was great but that little bit was just a little bit difficult for me but it ended up being positive you know the youth team and I ended up taking the youth team once Paul went and, and that was a really good experience in itself any of your squad still around uh, the f- um, football or? 
Well, I had um, young Tom Smith was one of the mm-hmm. ones was like the quite younger ones. Um, I wish I'd have had more time with him. I think he, I think he's done really well. He done really well. I wish I'd have had more time with him. I think, you know, I, I'd like to, you know, because of the position he played and where I played, I think I could have helped him a lot. Yeah. Uh, Jake Evans. Yeah. So, 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 so how did what resulted in your exit from Swindon after those two seasons or two years? Ah. <sighs> Oh, truthfully, yeah. um, I got I got stitched up big time. Truthfully, I got stitched up. Um, I was obviously a youth team manager at the time. Yeah. Uh, Luke Williams was in his coach, and I believe that Luke was going to be going um, to Sunderland at the time, but it didn't materialise um, with Gus. Mm-hmm. And I, I do believe that some someone was offered Luke's job. Um, I won't name names, but someone was offered Luke's job and obviously Luke didn't end up going. Um, and that person then was obviously then going to take a position at the football club. And I literally just got, what did I, did I even get a phone call? No, I don't think I did. Um, and this is when you're talking about obviously being in the summer, not getting paid and yeah. or not getting paid and not, not wondering what's happening come the start of the season. Two, two weeks before the season starts, they tell me that someone else is going to be doing the youth team and that was it going to terminate your contract and I was like well I I had it in there that I could go back to my phase development role and this that and the other and I ended up getting an opportunity to go back in there and to be fair to Jeremy Newton he was really respectful to me and he was like look I'm really sorry this has happened you know out of my hands Um, and in the end I just got fed up with it and got an opportunity to go and work in the um, FA so I did that the FA job, did you have to scramble to get it, or was it just right time? And no, uh, yeah, right time. I think yeah. um, a, a, an opportunity came up in the Herefordshire area, um, and again, it was, you know, you've been a professional footballer, you've been in an academy system, you've managed in League Two, and I'm taking a job with the FA mm. um, in what was the skills program, and that was basically going into schools and delivering a foundation phase like football development program and I was absolutely scared to scared of what was going to happen because I'd never been in that environment before and coaching in that environment is completely different to people turning up who want to play football Mm. Um, because you've got kids at schools who don't want to play you've got girls who've never played football before you've got people with learning difficulties you've got people with physical difficulties some people can't speak English you know and all of those things were a massive challenge and I'm stepping back going oh my days how am I going to cope with this but it has been the best coaching experience I could ever have and taking it forward it's changed me massively just in not just as a, a coach but as a parent because I understand a little bit more around development yeah development so yeah it was it in the end it's been the most hot one of the most positive experiences i've ever had and that's taking you to your current uh project which is paces um yeah uh we we, we uh but the skills program finished mm-hmm. um the premier league obviously put in place um the superstars program so the fa decided that they weren't going to be able to hit the same participation numbers as the premier league um, the Premier Stars were going to do so. Uh, myself and my business partner now, 
who worked in the program decided to leave and set up our own program and it was just me and him to start off with um and we went in and we had a couple of schools each um now we've been asked to take over um hereford fc's community program we do disability disability delivery work with adult learners uh we we're in about 25 30 percent of the primary schools in the county um we've deliver over at worcestershire as well um and the business has gone from me and jim to 10 other people um and it's been a very difficult but positive experience um and it's going from strength to strength which is which is ideal and this is and this is it now is this what jamie Pittman does now for the remainder of your working career or is there is there sort of like well i'm always i'm always on the lookout for like uh football league or uh, high echelons of non-league opportunities um at this moment in time um my boys are still young one's 14 one's one's um uh one's coming up 14 one's uh, one's 11 and they both love their football and to be perfectly honest with you i'll never get those type you know and this is where i probably matured a little bit um and I do believe that I want to go and watch my children. I'll never get that time back. Um, you know, I've got maybe two or three years left of that until they get to 16 and they want to do their own thing. Um, I want to give them all of my time. Um, and at the moment, I'm not prepared to give any time to anything else apart from them. Yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. That's, that's probably very selfish. Um, I do obviously do... a. Um, coach education stuff for the fa still and still have an input into that but i love my two children and i want to see them grow up and i want to see them as much as possible um and and, and that's you know and, and that along with my, my my partner and her daughter now i want to see as much of them as i can um because the whole experience of being a, a league two manager um if i can put it plainly was like if you can imagine a bubble and you're the in the center of that bubble and everyone else around that bubble are just insignificant um and that's your family your friends all of those other important people in your life and you're not even concentrating on them because you're so consumed with work and that's where i'm now at i just go it's, it's not worth it so are your boys looking to go into this world as well uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh they, they both have ambitions um and, and and that's one thing I would say I'm very passionate about, especially in these rural counties like Herefordshire. The kids here don't get the same opportunities. Mm. They really don't. And there's some very good footballers in these environments that they don't get the same opportunities as, as perhaps some of the big city boys and big town boys get. Um, and that's why I'm in where I am. Do I make loads of money out of it? No, I don't. Do I get satisfaction out of seeing kids playing sport, exercise and football? Yes, I do. And actually, because that's been my whole life and my whole passion and it's brought me to where I am. So, yeah, I'd love my kids to be involved in it. If they get if they get the opportunity to do it, I'll try to give them the best support I can. Um, do I push them and be a pushy parent? No, I don't. It's it's their their choices. But if that's what their choices, I'll try to support them best I can. Um uh, but it is a tough industry, don't? And, and I will argue that point to anybody if they ever wanted to, because it is a tough, tough life. Brilliant and fantastic, but very tough. Jamie Pittman, thank you very much. Pleasure.
Thank you very much for your time. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.